0: Hey good morning Harlan how we doing? Yeah. If Okay. Yeah, that works. Uh, If we haven't met, my name is Brad. I'm the third of our lead pastor team, and it's good to be with you today as we continue the series that we started last week called Quick to Listen. And this is a series about something that we all need a lot of help with. It's how do we navigate the disagreements in our lives? We have a lot of disagreements in our lives and a lot of different areas of our lives, and so how do we navigate them? And this is not a series about how do we win our disagreements. This isn't a series about how do we have less disagreements. This is a series about how do we navigate, what do we do with the disagreements that we have with the people around us? Because for the past six years... There have been things that have been thrown at us that we have disagreed with one another on, that from pandemics to politics, from the economy to elections, from news headlines to social unrest, to headline after headline after headline, and for every single one of these things, we've, we've had to ask the question, what do I think about this? Well, every time that something comes our way, what do I think about this? And we've had to kind of figure this out almost instantaneously, but an equally important question that we've had to ask ourselves is not just this, it's it's what do I do with the people who think differently than me about this, right? What do I do with, with that coworker? What do I do with that family member? What do, I, what do I do with that person who's going to show up at my Thanksgiving this year that I know thinks differently about me than this? What do I do with that acquaintance, that old acquaintance that I see pop up from time to time on Facebook who begins their post, okay, here goes, unfriend me if you must, right? And if that isn't a picture of how we've learned as a society to deal with our disagreements, that if you disagree with me, if I disagree with you, well, then we have no reason to be in friendship or relationship with one another, right? And so that's the reason for this series, that we need this series to figure out what do we do with the people who disagree with us? And the Bible tells us what to do. It tells us in James 1.19, it says, take note of this, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. That when you find yourself wanting to speak up and speak out to correct or to criticize or even to condemn, that the first thing we should do should be to be quick to listen. And so the, the big idea of this three-week series that we're in right here is that Jesus first people are listening first people. Jesus first people are listening first people. If you've been around Heartland, Jesus first, these are some words that we use to capture our, our heartbeat and mission, that we want to be people who make Jesus first in our lives, make Jesus first in our homes, make Jesus first in our church, and, and even in our world, that we want to carry his message, his message of grace and truth out into our world. But we don't become these Jesus first people by winning our arguments, We don't always become the Jesus first people in our society by turning our voices up louder and louder and louder and joining the shouting match. What James suggests to us is that part of the way we become Jesus first people are by becoming listening first people. So last week, we looked at the first part of this verse of how do we listen our way into better disagreements with one another. Next week, we're going to be looking at the, the last part of this verse about what do we do with some of the anger that we feel around some of the things that we disagree about. But today we're looking at the middle part of this verse, to be slow to speak. How do we be slow to speak? And why is this so important, especially in our disagreements where we're quick to speak? Because you and I know what happens when we're quick to speak, right? Maybe you've had those moments when your words have left your mouth at breakneck speed and you've seen the damage that they've done. Maybe you've suffered the embarrassment of crossing the line or the hurt of saying too much and offending someone. Maybe you've clicked send on that email or that message or that post way too fast. And this was before we learned how we could pull those things back, right? Technology's trying to help us there. But maybe you sent it way too fast and and you've seen the hurt that your words have caused. Or, Or maybe you haven't. Because... Over the past few years, parts of our society have tried to tell us that that if someone doesn't like what you have to say, well then that's their problem, it's not yours. That if what you have to say or the way that you say it, how you say it, if that hurts someone or offends someone, well then that's their problem. It's your responsibility, it's your right to say what you think and to say it however you want to say it. So if it hurts or confuses or offends someone, well, well who cares what they think? Well James cares. And James wants us to care, too. And last week, we, we did some work on this verse. I encourage you, if you didn't see that, make sure you go back because we're going to lay some of the foundations of the context of what James was writing all about. But, but James was one of the uh, early church leaders. He was Jewish. He was the half-brother of Jesus. And he's writing to Jews who had now become Christians and are part of churches that are scattered all about the, the Mediterranean. And every single one of these churches had their own share of disagreements. In fact, if we go back to the book of Acts, right after the Gospels, right in the middle, Acts 15, we see James helping these churches navigate some of the biggest disagreements that they had with one another. And it just helps us to see that even in the early church, right on the heels of Jesus being here, that there were churches that didn't see eye to eye. That there were people who didn't see eye to eye, and this comes from the fact that, that the people in these churches had different religious backgrounds, that they had, came from different cultures, they came from different slices of society, they had different life experiences. And so James knew, as we said last week, that disagreements are natural. Disagreements are inevitable. We can't do anything about that. But how we navigate these disagreements, well, this is crucial to how we live as followers of Jesus. This is what James wants us to know. But if you're here or if you're watching and you're not a follower of Jesus, I, don't check out because James in his book, this little book in the New Testament, throws a whole bunch of wisdom at us. And I guarantee you that whether you follow Jesus or not, if you follow James' wisdom, this will reap benefits in your life. You will benefit from this and reap the dividends. So later in James' letter, here's where we're going to be today, is in James chapter 3. He talks at length about how to speak to one another, about how to use our words with one another, and we're going to look at it, but his big point is this. James' big point in James chapter 3, follow me, is don't ever, 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 ever underestimate the power of your words. You got that? Don't ever, 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 ever underestimate the power of your words. Here's how James explains this. He starts in James 3, when we look at verse 2, he says, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, they're able to keep their whole body in check. James says, of all the parts of your body, if you can control what comes out of your mouth, well, then you can control your whole body, and then you would be perfect. But nobody is perfect. We all know this. We've all stumbled in the way that we have used our words in our life. He says, but if you could control your mouth, well, well then you could control your whole body, but none of us can do that. And then he gives us a couple of illustrations. He says, when we put bits into mouths of animals, we make them obey us. A lot of us don't have horses, but maybe you've watched Yellowstone and you know how this works, right? (laughs) So you can control the entire horse with just one small metal bit inside their mouth. He says, well, maybe you're not horse people, but maybe you've been on a boat before. He says, so, or take huge ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by such strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go that you take those ships And you just take that very small rudder at the back of the ship, despite being powered by these huge winds, despite being this massive ship, that small rudder is all it takes for that pilot to control the direction, to influence the direction of that ship. James says, in the same way, likewise, your tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boast. That bits are small in relation to horses, that rudders are small in relation to boats, and your tongue is small in relation to the rest of your body, but it makes great boasts that your, your tongue can take credit for most of the things in your life, that it influences the direction, the quality of your life in so many different ways. And then James gives us a warning, and he does it in the form of another picture. He says, so consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. Now this is something that we do know about because we see this in the headlines every summer. In kind of late summer, we hear about something happening in the West, something gets out of control. It's like in, in 2019, the uh, state of Colorado had their biggest fire in the state's history called the Ranch Fire. The 400,000 acres of, Colorado, of uh, California's landscape was burned to the ground, including 280 buildings. And now this fire was not started by a bolt of lightning This was not started by some chemical explosion or even by someone leaving their campfire unattended. This fire was started by one person who was hammering a metal stake into the ground, the kind that you use around your garden. And that one act caused one spark that started this. One spark, one fire. James says that's all that it takes to start a fire is one spark. So James connects the dots for us. He says, the tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body. It sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. James is not mincing his words here, right? He's saying all it takes to burn up your life, it's just a few words, all it takes to turn your marriage to ashes, your reputation your career, something that's important to you, all it takes to burn that to the ground is just a few words. He goes on. He says, all kinds of animals and birds and reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human can tame the tongue. That that humanity and all of our progress and all of our intelligence and all of our accomplishments, we can cage up the wildest animals all over the face of the earth. But no one has ever learned how to cage up the tongue. It is too strong. It is too wild. It is too dangerous. It is too unpredictable. You and I can't do it. It's restless, James tells us. And then he finishes with this. He says, it is a restless evil full of deadly poison. That's our pick-me-up for today. Right? James says, don't ever, 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 underestimate the power of your words. Don't underestimate their power. Don't underestimate the damage that they can do. And don't underestimate your ability to think that you, to your ability to control them. This is why we should be slow to speak. But just as your words have tremendous power to do harm, they have equally as much power to do good. The Proverbs, the book of wisdom from the Old Testament, which James would have been familiar with, has multiple verses about this, but one of them is that death and life are in the power of the tongue. That your words can do harm, but they can also do good. That when we are slow to speak, then our words actually have the power to bring life. That our words can keep our disagreements from becoming disasters. That our words, the words that we choose and the way that we speak them, can help our disagreements actually become healthy dialogues because most of the time our disagreements are just alternating monologues with one another, right? But if we use our words well, they can actually become healthy, edifying dialogues. How? So last week, I gave us four practical ways that we could be better listeners, that we could listen our way into better disagreements with one another. Today, I have Three ways, three ways that we can become slow to speak. Three reasons why and how to be slow to speak. Now, if you're thinking, how come last week we got four and this week we got three, it's because we have a noon kickoff (laughs) and you have stuff to do. So uh, we'll come up with a fourth and find some other way, place to put it, okay? So three ways, three reasons that we can be slow to speak. How, one, be slow to assume. How do we be slow to speak be slow to assume that most of the time when words come out of our mouth at breakneck speed, it's based on some assumption that we've made about another person. Because this is an easy thing that we find ourselves doing, right? So this week for fun, I looked up what some of the most common assumptions that people from outside of Kansas City have about people who live in Kansas City. I bet you're curious, right? Yeah. Okay, so here's number one assumption and see if you agree. Uh, people from Kansas City are barbecue snobs. Okay, yeah, that one might be actually true. Um, number two, people from Kansas City all love country music. Wow, and you're all right over here. It's like you decided to stay together. So you guys must be the country music lovers. Maybe we have like old country, new country, anyway. Um, all right, number three, every Kansan can parallel park a tractor. I just read it off the internet, that's, that's what it said. People from Kansas, this is number four. four, people from Kansas City always wanna make sure that you know the difference between KCK and KC Mo. Yeah. Very true. If you're watching, you're not from Kansas City, it's a pretty big deal. Uh, we don't want them to be confused. Now here's, here's the last one, we could go on for a while, but here's, here's the last one. Uh, people from Kansas City are nice to a fault. Yeah. I take that, that's not that bad. I'll take, I'll take that assumption, right? That's fine. Here's, here's my point. You know where I'm going with this. Our assumptions, and we all know what assumptions make of you. All right. Uh, our assumptions are something that we find ourselves doing all the time, that when we find just one thing about a person, where they're from, something they said, something they posted or reposted, a book that they're reading, if their yard has a sign or their car has a sticker on it, what radio station they listen to, we as tend to assume more about them than just that one thing. And the danger of our assumptions is that we flatten that person. We depersonalize them and we keep them from being as complete, as complex, and as unique and as human as they really truly are. We wouldn't want them to do that to us, but we do that all the time with one another. There was a guy who lived many years ago named Martin Buber. Martin Buber lived during the middle of the 20th century and uh, he was Jewish, a Jewish theologian, and he, he, he lived and wrote uh, during the time of Nazi Germany, yet he escaped the Holocaust by just a couple years. And he wrote a book uh, in German called Ich und Du. I don't speak German, but I just thought that would be really fun to say. And it kind of is. You can try it. Ich und Du. Is that anywhere close, German people? Okay. Which means, which means, me and, uh, which means I and thou or me and you, if we translate that, I and thou. And it came from his belief that our relationships with one another are fundamental to our human existence. And this is a belief that flowed out of his own Jewish faith and his conviction that the problems we experience in our relationships with one another are when we fail to recognize that just as I have been created in the image of God, you have been created in the image of God as well. And so Buber said that the highest expression of this relationship between two people is the I-thou relationship. I-thou relationship, me and you. An I-thou relationship is when I see that you have a separate and valuable existence from me. And even though we may have disagreements and different experiences and different thoughts, I still value you. I still respect you. But this relationship can get messed up when we begin to treat others not as people, not as a thou, but as an it, which Buber calls the I-it connection. That a person begins to be an it when we look at them as an object, when we look at them as a thing to influence, or as a thing that we use to get what we want in our life, or even as something that gets in the way of what we want in life. And so if we apply Buber's thinking to our disagreements, a person becomes an it when we let our, de- our disagreement depersonalize the other person or even demonize them. And so how do, we, how do we avoid this? Buber helps us. He says that there's a divide between people, which he calls the sacred space. And when we invite God into this space, this is when we view one another as a thou and not as an it, that when we let love be the way that we view the other person in this relationship, when love becomes the buffer of this relationship, well, then God's presence manifests that space, that this is, this is how we strengthen our relationships with one another, that if we want to have better connections and healthier disagreements, then we need to invite God into the space and invite God to help us see how he sees the other person. Now, how do, how do we do this? Just a few simple practical ways. One, check your assumptions, that when you're finding yourself in a disagreement with someone, check your assumptions or resist reducing the other person. Resist reducing them to a view that, that they have or to, as a way to get what you want. Ask good questions. This is something we talked about last week at length. That explore their world. Explore their background. And then repeat all this. <laughs> because we will never understand someone as well as we think we do. That people are infinitely more complex than we will let them be. And so I want you to just think about someone in your life. Think about someone that maybe you've been tempted to view as an it and not as a thou. Or maybe there's a group of people and you've depersonalized them in some way. You've stereotyped them or let your assumptions define how you view them. And how could seeing them as God sees them change your disagreements with that person? Step one, be slow to assume, but also step two, if we move forward, be slow to defend. How do we be slow to speak? We be slow to defend, that we we bring assumptions into things, and that can cause fires with our words, but also our defenses, that we can get really defensive, and that can cause fires in our disagreements. See, assumptions aren't the only ways that our words can do damage our defensiveness can too. The University of Southern California wanted to learn what happens when someone, has, someone with a deeply held view is challenged by an alternative view. And so using MRI machines to, to assess brain activity, neurologists presented individuals with statements that challenged that individual's personal political views. So they read them statements about public policies like welfare and taxes and immigration of course abortion gun control the military and more all sorts of things just to see how people's brains would respond about these things in relation in versus other kinds of things that they may have had views about and what they've found Was it the part of the brain, the amygdala, kind of this part inside your brain, the small portion that processes fear and assesses threats, that part of these people's brains just went wild whenever they heard something that challenged something that they believed, something that they held on to. And here's what they learned. that When you experience alternative views to anything that is personal to you, it doesn't have to be politics, but politics usually are. Your brain jumps into action and tells you that you are fighting for your life. And so your brain prompts you to life-saving measures like to retreat or to protect yourself or even to fight back. Now, you can't tell your brain to stop doing this. Your brain is there to keep you alive, right? So you want your brain to do this, but you can be aware that this is what your brain is doing whenever you find yourself or something that you hold deeply to being challenged or even just being in the presence of something that counters that, that you can do this by practicing being in the presence of alternative beliefs and views. In their book, I Think You're Wrong, But I'm Listening, authors Sarah Stewart Holland and Beth Silvers demonstrate being two Christians who dialogue over a range of politics and social issues that they themselves disagree with each other on. And they equate these disagreements to exercise. That that just as physical exercise is uncomfortable, it stretches us, it helps us grow. In order for exercise to work, in order for us to grow, we actually have to be okay with the discomfort, right? If you don't exercise or you skipped a workout this week, it may have been because you just didn't want to be that uncomfortable on that day for those 20 minutes or for that hour. For exercise to work, we have to be willing to be stretched and we have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. And so these authors write, they say, we have ideas that test each other. We have vigorous and painful disagreements, and rather than being discouraged, we can recognize our discomfort. We can ease into it together, and we can share the experience of being human together. You see, when you are in the midst of a disagreement, here's how being slow to speak can help. Here's how it can help you set aside your defensiveness. Instead of speaking back, what you're probably doing to, to keep yourself alive in some way, take a beat. Give yourself some space to ask, how is this person or how is their view stretching me right now? What's been my perspective on this and why? What's my level of passion around this and what's at stake for me if maybe I'm wrong? Or what's at stake for me if maybe there's something for me to learn from this person? Is it possible that this person or the view that they have, the issue that we're talking about is more complex and not as simple as I've made it. To train ourselves to be okay with being uncomfortable. See, being slow also gives you some space to ask yourself another really important question, and it's this. It's, am I in a healthy enough place to have this conversation right now? That if you wanna run a uh, marathon, but you haven't worked out in years, then don't run a marathon. You're gonna hurt your body, right? You need to start slow, you need to take some time. And so uh, last week, um, I was talking with one of you after the message and you shared about going to lunch with some extended family that you hadn't seen in a while. And after sitting down at the restaurant, the first question that the extended family members asked this this Heartland person was, so what do you think about the Supreme Court's decision? First question, (laughs) right at lunch. Haven't seen each other in months. Maybe you had an encounter like that too, right? And I asked this and I was like, oh my gosh, like how did you respond, right? Of course you said. I said, no, what we said, what I said was, um, you know what, this is an important topic, but I don't think I'm personally prepared to have this conversation right now. You see, it's that kind of self-awareness that being slow to speak makes possible. Knowing yourself, taking a moment to just, to just kind of think and, and prepare yourself. See, the past few years, we have had more chances to talk about more highly charged things than ever in our lifetime, but we forget that this is newer territory, and we don't have good practice at this. So before jumping into the heated debate of the things happening around us, what if you and I took a breath to ask ourselves, is this the best thing for us to talk about with this person? And maybe give yourself permission to say, you know what, I don't know if I'm at a good enough place to have this conversation right now. Maybe there's more research that I want to do. There's more things that I want to learn, not so that I can come into this conversation armed and ready, ready to load all my arguments at you, but to learn more about all of the things that are at play in this. Maybe this is some time that I can take to listen to more than just one side or to think about what my experiences have been with this so that I can come in fully present to myself and fully present to you. Or maybe when these things come up, you can recognize that this level of conversation about these high-stakes things are newer territory for that relationship. This is maybe one of the biggest reasons why family gatherings have imploded over the past couple years, because families are not used to talking about things at this level. And so there's one bit of advice for going into Thanksgiving and Christmas, maybe it's just, hey, let's practice talking about some, you know, disagreements that maybe aren't quite so highly charged. Like, let's talk about disagreements over football. Or let's talk about which is the best barbecue place in Kansas City. Or let's talk about if the next season of Ted Lasso is ever going to come out and if it's going to be worth the wait. Like, just pick some things that you have different views on. And give yourself room to practice those disagreements and practice listening to one another and see how you did so that when you move into other territories, that you can do it better. So that you can be slow to be defensive and slow to assume. Now, here's, here's the last thing. Last way to be slow to speak is to be slow to harm. Be slow to harm. Maybe James' wisdom here is coming too late for you. Maybe your words have already started some fires in your relationships. Maybe you've made assumptions or your defensiveness or your zeal has hurt people. Maybe there are people in your life that you've been treating as its and not as thou's. Don't be so slow to speak that you aren't offering the apologies, the healing apologies that you need to offer to fix those relationships in your life. See, our words can start fires but our words can also put them out. Earlier this week, I was studying and, and writing, working on this message, and the whole time I had that old John Mayer song in my head, the my stupid mouth has got me in trouble, I said too much again, remember that was just me? Okay, you're there, okay, so in the later verse he says, I could tell that an indelible line was drawn between what was good and what just came out, and so another social casualty, you've had those moments, I've had those moments. So I'm writing a message on being slow to speak, not using your words to start fires. I have this song going on through my head, and I come home, and my wife asked me a question. And let's just say that my response to her was, in the words of John Mayer, stupid. (laughs) In the words of James, it was a spark that started a fire. We do that. It doesn't matter if it's marriage dispute. I know, you want to know what the conversation was about. (laughs) It's my business, not yours. But we do this in marriage disputes, and political disputes, we do it with our family members, our coworkers, we do it on social media. Part of the reason we have so many fires on social media is because we're willing to say things to people on social media that we wouldn't say to them if they were in our kitchen, so let's just stop that, right? But it happens in all areas of our lives, and typically the fires that get started aren't fires that we meant to start, and this is a fire that I didn't mean to start, and so Typically our response when our words do damage to someone is is to clarify our intent, right? It's to say things like I didn't I didn't mean it that way or I didn't mean for those words to come out that way or I didn't me- mean for you to hear that or or the classic apology that isn't I'm sorry you feel that way. Let's just remove that from our vocabulary. Apologies are taking ownership of the fires that you've started and when you say I'm sorry you feel that way, you're not owning anything. So let's just do that. And so what's the better way? This is reason number 567. I'm so thankful for our counselors here at Heartland. They've helped me with this. And they said, when you see that your words have done damage, don't be so quick to clarify your intent. Instead, acknowledge impact, not intent. Acknowledge the impact of your words. Recognize that there is a fire that has been started. And this is more important and should take priority over this this is us trying to save ourselves, save face, and look good. But meanwhile, there's a fire that is burning. And so acknowledge the impact of what you've done, that when we realize we've hurt someone, that our love for them should lead us to say, I can see clearly that I've hurt you. And I'm sorry. My intent was something different. But I chose my words poorly. Will you forgive me? You see, this stops the burning there are parts of the forest that still may be in ashes that will take time to regrow in that relationship. It will take time to to regrow and heal that trust or whatever it may be, but at least the fire is out. See, our words can start fires, but they also can stop them. As the Proverbs say, gracious words are a honeycomb sweet to the soul and healing to the bone, to the depths of ourselves that your words may have hurt people, but they also have the power to heal. Don't ever, 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 ever underestimate the power of your words, power to hurt, but also the power to heal. So what do we do with this? How do we make this real in our lives? We all need all the help that we can get with this, right? So I wanna give us something that I think could be helpful. And it's something that you can take with you, and who doesn't love a really great acronym that a pastor worked feverishly on all week to come up with? So uh, here's our help as we leave here, is that when we find ourselves in that disagreement, when we find those words and emotions mounting up in us, in those moments, here's what I want us to do. I want us to be slow, slow, that we stop, we listen, we observe, and we weigh. Stop, listen, observe, and weigh. That we stop in that moment. That we resist the urge to do what our mouth is trying to tell us to do. That we hold those words back and we do what's coming completely unnatural to us. We just stop, we take a beat, we take a breath, and we don't talk. And then, we listen. We listen to that person. We listen completely and attentively like we talked about last week. We listen to God as we're listening to them. And when this person gets done talking, we ask more questions so that they keep talking so that we can keep listening to try and understand them well. And then we observe. We look inside ourselves, or maybe a better word for it is we step outside of ourselves and we look at ourselves to say, what's happening in me right now? What's the passion that I'm feeling? What's at stake for me? What's happening in here? What's happening up here? What are my defenses? What are my assumptions? Am I viewing this person as a thou or as an it right now? We just observe ourselves. And then finally, We weigh. We weigh, is what I have to say right now really going to help this conversation that much? Is what I have to say right now, is this the best time for that? Is what I have to say right now really going to help strengthen our relationship? And if not, don't say it. Stop. Be slow. So you can stop, listen, observe, weigh. Stop, listen. Observe. Way, here's why this is so important. Because you know that it's only a matter of minutes until um, there's going to be something that you want to speak out, and this could save that moment. This could keep that liar that that fire from starting in that relationship. This is going to make your disagreements healthier and better. This is going to make your relationship stronger. This is going to make our church stronger, Heartland, because. Because we have this mission statement, you hear it a lot around here because we're so passionate about it. We want our heart to beat loud for this, that we make space for building relationships to make Jesus first. This is what we wanna see happen in our lives. This is what we wanna see happen in our church and in our world, that Jesus, that his truth and grace, that his message goes out from our lives. This doesn't happen without this. We could have written this mission statement without this phrase and it would have been great but we would have been missing this. That relationships are part of who we are as a church, that we want to have relationships with one another in here, inside these walls, but also outside of these walls too. And our relationships will experience disagreements And churches will experience disagreements, and sadly, churches have become known for letting their disagreements lead to division. Sadly, in our lives, our disagreements have led to division, which is why the quality of our relationships matters so much, that as our world continues to change and as words and things, as, as things continue to happen around our world and our society, will we make a commitment to stay in this so that we can be this? Will we make a commitment to be slow to speak, to be Quick to listen, to stop, listen, observe, and weigh. Will we make a commitment to be slow to make assumptions of one another, to be slow to be defensive with one another, to to view one another as a vow and not as an it? Being slow to speak is how we do this so that we can be quick to listen to one another. But that little acronym is going to help us only so much. We need God's help too, right? So as we go into this week, I want to pray for us. We have midterms behind us, we have more stuff ahead of us, we have family gatherings, you have meetings, you have relationships, we have work to do, Harlan. So let's stand, and before we go, let me pray for us. God, I thank you, first of all, for the power of your words, that it was your words that created life. And so if there is a voice that matters in our lives, let it be yours. Would your words and your voice guide us, teach us, encourage us, challenge us, and help us to be slow to speak, God, so that we can be quick to listen to you. But also I pray for us and all the people, all the families, all of the workplaces and schools, every, every life that's represented here and the lives that they represent, God. We just come to you saying, we need your help. So would you give us your grace when we get this wrong? Would you give us your wisdom and your discernment of knowing how to do this right? And may we be a people who take seriously this charge to be quick to listen and slow to speak. So Jesus, it's in your name that we pray, amen. Hey, also, as you go from here, last week we told you about this every single week after our message. We've got these conversation cards that we put up on our social media. This is a way for you to continue the conversation with other people in your lives to listen to God and to figure out what do I do with this? Um, We'll see you next week. We're talking about anger. You're not going to want to miss it. Have a great week, Heartland.